we're constantly being bombarded with this vision of disorder and chaos and violence, and pundits continue to tell us that our country has never been more divided. Now, a couple of days ago, I saw a commercial on television, and it led off with, the country has never been more divided. And then the commercial started, that we could buy various kinds of licorice in a can. That's what they were advertising. The world can come together around licorice. It, it was, it was tongue-in-cheek, but I don't know how you can get your tongue around licorice once it's in your cheek, by the way. That we are divided, well, that's true. That we've never been more divided, that's not true. That we've never been more divided can easily be, over, be overturned because prior to the Revolutionary War, one-third of the population wanted to go to war. And one-third of the population didn't want to go to war. And the other third of the population really wasn't too interested in giving their comments on it anyhow. They were undecided. The Civil War divided the country politically, geographically, and between families. The post-Civil War found hard, angry feelings which led to violence on the streets of every major city and every small town. Imagine that. Most of the violence we see on, on TV now comes from the big cities, not the small towns. We haven't heard too much violence here in Flemington or in Sargentsville. President Abraham Lincoln carried the weight of the war and its aftermath on his shoulders. He understood the risk of survival the country faced and also the risks to himself. On June 1863, a college president asked President Lincoln if he thought the country would survive. And here's what the president said. Quote, I do not doubt our country will finally come through safe and undivided, but don't misunderstand me. I do not rely on the patriotism of our people, the bravery and devotion of the boys in blue, or the loyalty and skill of our generals. I rely on the God of our fathers who raised up this country that he will not let it perish now. Listen to this and see if it sounds familiar. I may not live to see it. I do not expect to see it. But God will bring us through safe. Now that's faith. He believed what he believed with all his heart. That's a, a real testimony to us. In spite of danger, division in the country and families seems woven into the fabric of human history. Remember Cain and Abel? Divisions causes appear to be embedded in our DNA. Its corrosive influence was part of the seventh, first century church. The apostle Paul spoke to it in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 3, 3. For ye are yet carnal. You're, not, you're acting like people with no spiritual uh, Rebirth. You're acting just like everybody else without faith in Christ. You're yet carnal, for whereas there is among you en envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? In 1 Corinthians 11:18, he said, For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that be, there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. In 1 Corinthians 1:10, he said, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and there be no divisions among you. Be ye perfectly joined together in, in, the sound, in sound mind and judgment. But the question is, how do we achieve unity, that goal? And that's the subject of this morning's lesson, the beauty of unity. Psalm 133.1, 1, 
Behold how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. There's nothing better than the church at its best. Amen? There's nothing better. When you come into this place and you'll feel, you feel that sense of love, you feel that sense of togetherness, you feel the blessing that comes to you from the Lord by your brothers and sisters, not too many things can compete with that. Nobody's putting a gun to anybody's head. Ephesians 4.3, Paul instructs the church, quote, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. On the flip side, Abraham Lincoln, who is often, quote, often credited with saying this for himself, but he's just quoting Jesus in Mark 3.25, if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And that's a universal principle. Whether it's political or familial or relational, it can't be together. Jesus knew what a body blow disunity can be to relationships of a nation and to the church. And he also knows what tremendous potential there is in unity. So in the closing hours of his earthly ministry, in the moments before his suffering, humiliation, and death, Christ prayed that his followers would be one. In what is considered the real Lord's Prayer, Jesus prays for himself and the apostles and the church. And we pick up that account in John 17. Let's stand together out of respect for God's word as we read John 17, verses 6 through 11, then verse 17, then verses 19 to 26. John 17, beginning at verse 6. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. For they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out of thee, I came from thee, and they have believed that thou didst stand me. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. He's praying for you, 2,000 years ago, he's praying for you and me. Verse 10, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them, I'm honored. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. Verse 17, sanctify them, set them apart, that through thy truth thy word is true. Verse 20, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Again, you and me. They that all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they, were, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and thou lovest them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me, where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou hast loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath known, had not known thee, but I have known thee. And they that have known that thou hast sent me. I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherein thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. You may be seated. Let's break the chapter down. Verse 21, Jesus prays that we, that we will be one. Can he force us to be one? Can Jesus force us to be one? 
If he could, he wouldn't do it anyway. He's given us free will. He's given us license. It has constraints. It has limits. It has borders. It has boundaries. But he's given you freedom to be one, to choose to be one with one another. He won't force us to do it. He won't override our free will, make us to go against our own will. Rather, he prays that his truth will reveal to us the power and the potential of being one with him and one with each other. Jesus made no promise that his church would be one. And the Bible gives evidence that churches were not all unified. Others were, uh, some were fractured and some loved each other willingly. The apostle tells us the consequence of disunity. In John 3 and James 3.16, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. If we look around the world today, we can see the disunity of our world is leading to chaos in the streets. It's what's chaos? The Bible says that God is not the order of confusion. The Bible says that God is the God of order, things decent. So when you see the kind of chaos there is in our country and people say well we have to guarantee this will never happen again what are they going to do I mean what's the government going to do to keep rioting in the streets it hasn't done it yet in fact it almost gives the impression that because it does nothing it's giving it's giving a pat on the back to the people who are doing it doesn't seem like there are any easy answers to the nation's problems and the world's problems does it but I know this that the problems of the world are, cannot be solved politically. The problems of the world are not political. The problems of the world are spiritual. There can be no unity outside of Jesus Christ. We love to be broken up. We love to be separated from one another. That just seems to be a natural inclination. In his prayer, Christ points to some supernatural resources available to the body of Christ to keep us together. In verse 17, he tells the believer that we are sanctified, that we are set aside, set apart to be holy. That means when you ask Jesus to come into your heart and life, he reached down and pulled you out of the crowd. It means that you're different now. You should see some differences in your life having been saved years ago. You may not be a totally different person. I'm not. But I'm not the person I used to be before I got saved. Are you? You think different. Your desires are different. Your aspirations are different. Your goals and objectives are different. Your priorities are different. Your likes and dislikes have differed. There are so many ways in which you are different from who you were before you came to Jesus Christ. You're no longer just going along with the flow. We are counterculture. People in the 60s consider themselves counterculture, so they burn the cities down. We're counterculture. We don't want to burn anybody down. We want to build people up. We don't want to encourage people to see the beauty of following Jesus Christ. That's why we don't want to do anything to harm our testimony, because the world is looking for us to slip and fall. The world is looking for an opportunity to point to us and say, see how those Christians really are? Why would I want to change my life to follow something like that? So we need to make a presentation to the world that we truly have come to Jesus Christ as a Savior, and we're different now. We're no longer just a number. In the world, you're a number, Social Security. So many other ways in which you're just a number. Make sure you put it down on your paperwork or they'll send it back to you. In God's economy, you're not a number. You're an individual. I love that expression. 
whether it's perfectly accurate or not, that when Jesus was on the cross, you were on his mind. I love the very thought of that, that he could have been moaning and groaning about his pains and his suffering. Instead, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Father, be, mother, behold thy son, son, behold thy mother. He was thinking about others. Is it implausible to believe that he was thinking about you? I don't think so. You're no longer alone. You've got the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Every single person in this room at some point over the last several months has had a problem. You may even have it right now. You may be sitting here with that problem resting in your heart. And you thought that you were all alone in it. And you hoped that something was going to change because you, can't, you couldn't take it anymore. But Jesus never left you. So many people, it's, it's ironic to me, how many people tell me that they walked away from their faith because of something that happened. That's when you want to run to your faith. That's when you want to cling to Jesus. That's when, you, that's when you say, Jesus, I'm going through this horrible thing and I'm not going to let you go because I know I'll never get through this without you. You're not hopeless, you're not helpless, and you're not homeless. You've got a destination. So many people are fright, frightened. I do so many, huh, haven't we done so many funerals over the last several months? And I can tell you that a lot of the people I I speak to when I stand up before them, don't know Jesus as their Savior. I feel such a burden when I stand before people and do a eulogy to be able to be sure that I give the gospel and that I'm not ashamed to give it and give it in the simplest possible terms but make sure that I've given it. I don't want to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he said, why didn't you tell those people at that funeral? That's when they were the most vulnerable why didn't you go to the hospital bed of somebody who was dying without Christ? And why didn't you tell him about my son? I don't want to be in that position. God has a plan for your life. You have purpose. He's given you a new beginning, a second chance. He's begun a process of change and growth within you that will continue until the day you come home to be with him or until he comes home to get you in the rapture. How many of you are looking forward to that day of the rapture? Ready? It's set? Go! <laughs> the Lord says, I've set you apart for my use. You're not the person you used to be, and by God's grace, you're not the person you're going to be. In verse 23, Jesus prays that we may be made perfect in one. Unity is born out of a growing maturity that only comes from obedience to God's word. I'd like to break down Hebrews 4.12 for you a little bit. It says, for the word of God is quick, and that means alive, and powerful, that means it's life-changing, and sharper than any two-edged sword. When I read that, I think of the recent surgery I just had. I understood that they used a scalpel. I understood they used a chainsaw. I understood that they used a, no, no. But there was a saw there involved in the issue. And, uh, and they used a hammer, some kind of a hammer. I mean, I wasn't there when it happened, but it certainly sounded like I'm glad I wasn't. So it's sharper, than, it's sharper than any surgical scalpel. It pierces even through the dividing asunder of soul, spirit, and the joints and marrow. In other words, it goes beyond the physical to a place so deep within you that only Jesus can reach it. 
It goes that deep when the Holy Spirit allows the word to speak to you. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, it reveals the evil and the good within us. You know, the Bible is very clear that we have the potential for great good and we have the potential for harm. So when we look and say, how could that person do that? We have to say to ourselves, could I do that? Lord, is it me? Jesus never said unity, peace, harmony, or love is simple or easy to attain. These things are a challenge. But God wrote the Bible in part to challenge your thinking and to challenge our living. The, the Bible's a mirror. When you look at it, you see yourself for who you really are. It doesn't pull any punches, amen? It doesn't pull any punches. Times I read that book and I just say, I think I better close it now because I think I'm getting beat up pretty good here. <laughs> the Bible challenges the status quo. In other words, the way things are. The Bible is a book of confrontation and accountability. It confronts our sin, doesn't cover it up, doesn't tell you to, you know, just avoid thinking about it, talks about our sin, talks about our biases, talks about our lifestyle, our priorities, our attitude, our ego, and it's an ego and demands that we determine the path we will travel, a path to unity. Mark, Matthew 7, 14, the path to salvation is narrow, it says. There's only one way to God, and it's through Christ Jesus. This is a point of differentiation in our faith. We don't believe that there are many paths to God. That is the majority thinking of philosophy and of religion, that there are many, many paths to God. But Jesus says it's very clear, I, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes on to the Father but by me. Who else, what other religious leader gave up his life for his adherents and for those who weren't his adherents? He gave up his life for the sinner of whom we all were. Who else did that? For God loved us so much in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can anybody name any other religious leader that did that? And it's exclusive in the sense that there's only one way to God. But it's inclusive in that everybody can find that way. Everybody can take the Jesus path. The path to unity is also narrow. There is not enough space on the path for both unity and mean-spiritedness. You have to choose one or the other. There's not enough space for unity in gossip. You'll have to choose one or the other. There's not enough room for unity in racism, sexism, hatred, and injustice. You'll have to choose one or the other. And there's not enough room for unity and egotism, unfair criticism, and you'll have to choose one or the other in that case too. But there is enough room on the path to unity for unifiers to walk hand in hand and for peacemakers to work side by side. And there is enough of God's strength for those who walk the path of unity and peace to bear one another's burdens and lift one another up in prayer. There's plenty of room on the path to unity for love and kindness and caring. Verse 26, Jesus prays that God's love will live in us. It's by God's love alone that unity is possible. And guess what? That love is in you. You've got the love as part of the fruit of the Spirit. The love of Jesus Christ is in you. And people can see it. 
So don't turn the light off. Let them see the love of Jesus Christ. In, in, in fact, be generous. <laughs> don't just piecemeal it out. Give love to the people around you. Let people know that the love of Jesus Christ constrains us, that we want to love everybody. We know that in our flesh it's not possible. But that doesn't mean we're not going to try. The love of which I speak makes it possible for us to love the unlovely, the unloving, to forgive the indefensible, to overlook the speck in one another's eye, to weep with those who weep, to comfort those who mourn. By the strength of God's love, the unifiers will climb walls in order to build bridges. We'll do whatever it takes for us to help others. But again, the pursuit of unity is neither easy nor simple. It will take an effort, and there will be times when that effort will be futile. Romans 8, 12, 18, if it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. Break it down, if it be possible. It's not always possible. There will be people who don't like you. Why? Just because you're you. That's, that's their part. Here's your part. As much as lieth in you, live at peace with all men. You know, this is an equation. There are two sides to it. There are those who, who have injured, those who hurt, and those who help. And what side of the equation are you going to be on? Unity and maturity go hand in hand. Only through tests, trials, and suffering will we be able to explore the limits of faith, grace, and mercy that God has given us for others. Christian growth and maturity are a lifelong learning process. If we have a teachable spirit, peace and harmony are within reach. Amos 3.3, 3. can two walk together except they be agreed? Here's a question. Do you agree with anyone about everything? Anybody want to swallow the bait? <laughs> Do you agree with any, every, anyone about everything? You know, uh, we, there, we had a wonderful mayor in New York City, Koch. Anybody remember Mayor Koch? One of his favorite things to say was, if you agree with me about every, if you agree with someone about everything, one of, us, one of you are not thinking. It's okay to disagree. It's okay to have your thoughts. It's okay. And you shouldn't be criticized for that. You should be able to stand up and articulate your thoughts. We must agree on the core doctrines about Christ and his word. The truth cannot be thrown away in the name of unity. Someone wrote in Essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. We lead with our love. Once we agree on the imperatives, we must love through those things we don't agree about. If we focus on our differences, our focus is on each other. If we focus on unity, our focus is on the Lord. Let me do that one more time. If we focus on our differences, our focus is on each other. If we focus on unity, our focus is on the Lord. Much is at stake because love and unity are the calling card. You know, when I was in business, I would have business calling cards. I'd go to a place, the guy wasn't there, the lady was stayed home. You give a card with your name and your title and the company. Love is the Christian's calling card. People are looking for that. Verse 21, Jesus said that we must be one 
so that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. It's, it's the Christian's calling card, but it also is how people can identify us. They can either know us by our love, as the song said, we are one in the spirit, or they can be known by some, know us by something negative, that we're always looking at the wrong side of things, that we're always looking to condemn, that we're judgmental. No, we don't want to be those things. We want to be loving. We know what we believe. We know why we believe it. Jesus knew the power of one. Unified Christians accomplish more together than they can separately. In our gifts and through our giving, we can reach the lonely, the lost, the desperate in the name of Christ. Many hands can build handicap ramps to give new freedom to the wheelchair bound. I forget how many, maybe Jeff would remember how many uh, ramps we built for people who were shut-ins who couldn't get out of the house until we built a ramp. A few, right, Jeff? Many hands can repair leaky roofs and distribute food and clothing to those in need. Many voices can powerfully tell the story of what Jesus has done in their life. And by their love, care, kindness, and forgiveness for one another, Christians demonstrate that unity is possible. And Jesus is the way. The search for unity and peace requires a humble spirit for love and forgiveness to start the process. I have a closing story. How many of you ever heard of Gilbert and Sullivan? Yeah, you know, the English writers. The names of Gilbert and Sullivan are well known by all lovers of music. Now, here's something you may not know. They produced 14 operas together in a period from 1871 to 1896. Gilbert's words allied to Sullivan's music and it produced magic. The tragedy, however, is that two men, the two men detested each other. They hated one another. The problem arose because Sullivan ordered some carpet for the theater that they had bought. And when Gilbert saw the bill, he hit the roof. Never hire an accountant. <laughs> Neither could control his temper. And the two battled it out in court. They never spoke to one another again as long as they lived. When Sullivan wrote the music for a new production, he mailed it to Gilbert. When Gilbert wrote the words, he mailed it back to Sullivan. Once they were forced to be together during the curtain call, but they stood on opposite sides of the stage and bowed in different directions. Why? So they wouldn't see each other. They knew how to make beautiful music, but they knew nothing about harmony. Nothing. And that's what we want to be known for, the harmony. The reputation of this church is a beautiful one. People can see Jesus and feel Jesus when they come here. That's been the reputation, the friendly church, as it used to be up on the boards here, the friendly church, the friendly singing church. That's who we are. And when people see that, they are drawn to Jesus. And that's what we're supposed to do. If I be lifted up, Jesus said, I will draw all men unto me. Let's pray. Help us, Father, to be people of unity, of one mind, of one heart, of one spirit, that we might have a great effect on the world from this little meeting house to the far corners of the earth, have nothing in between but the love that Jesus Christ gave us when he died on Calvary and the love that we can share. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. I pray a special anointing and a blessing on them today that we would leave this place as ambassadors for Christ and remember that when we leave this place, we're entering the mission field. All of these things we pray in Christ's name, amen.